0: That's right, everyone. Welcome back to the Principles of Fitness podcast. My name is Cameron Harn. I'm super excited to bring you this episode today because if you've heard of NESM, Apex, 24 Hour Fitness, or Dot .fit, our next guest has his hands in the beginnings of each of these companies and almost the beginning of the fitness industry. And this episode is incredibly amazing because we sit down with fitness legend... I should say fitness legends and icons, Neil Spruce and my mentor, Mike Pincus, and we go over nutrition, we go over how Neil got started in the fitness industry, what his goal is in life, how he wants to save the world through health and fitness, and five steps. I mean, just incredible information that Neil dumps on us. And uh, Mike, how did, that, uh, how did you feel that interview went for you to, um, the other day?
1: I thought the interview was great. It was a great time to sit down with Neil and introduce uh, you, Cameron, to Neil and be able to see and hear firsthand uh, words of wisdom from what we call in the industry, the man himself. You know, he had an amazing career as a bodybuilder and a lot of people don't realize that, that he was actually in the trenches of the world of bodybuilding back in the day but then to see what he has been able to accomplish and his goal is to save the world through fitness and, and nutrition and to be able to hear the path that he has uh, taken over the years, where he started, where he came from, and then uh, see where he's going with it. Uh, it, For me, it was just a a great time spending with a, with a great man and one of my mentors from early on.
0: Yeah, it was definitely a great time. I enjoyed uh, sitting at his ranch in the beautiful Southern California sun. And, uh, yeah, man, I mean, let's go ahead and get into it, everyone. This is episode number 13 with Neil Spruce. All right, so now we're live and we're recording, so anything that we say can and will be used from this <laughs> point on. Perfect. Um, Neil, thanks for meeting with us today. Thank you. Um, super excited to get started with you. Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the first things I just want to ask you, um, just can you tell us a little bit about how you got to now, where you started from, and what you're doing currently?
2: Okay, you're talking all from a business standpoint then, right? How we got to where we are today and in our network of businesses? Even, even more
0: more personal, like where where did you grow up? Like how did, how did you create everything that you've created yeah. so far?
2: Well, and again, that's kind of plays into the same thing i i, I grew up and uh uh you know really in with like different families and didn't have you know parents like everybody else so you know for me what really kept me at least halfway straight and narrow was sports and you know football um you know when i played football that led to bodybuilding and that's what really kept me um completely away from the dark side if you will because i grew up motorcycle gangs i also spent many years you know doing that, and so that was a bit of an outlaw uh, throughout those years, and uh, bodybuilding and football changed my life, Uh, and everyone around me pretty much was dead or in jail, and since that saved my life, I made a decision to myself, and I kind of flipped the switch at about age 23, and I said, you know, it saved me. I can save the world, so I set out to build an empire to save the world, and fitness was it, you know, and it started with uh, bodybuilding. I, I used that as a platform to get to the next level. Gold's Gym took me in and really started my career for me, you know, there was only uh, one to, one goals gym when I started, and that was Venice, and then San Francisco is where they found me, and uh, I got was involved in what they call the grade eight, and those are the people that helped kind of spread the brand around the world, you know, okay. open it up, and, uh, and then when I retired from bodybuilding, I went in and started uh, my first real company, which was Apex, and that grew into the biggest in the world uh, fitness platform, and then the uh, second one, National Academy of Sports Medicine, merged that with... Uh, I merged uh, Apex with Twenty Four Hour Fitness. My par- became my Mark Mastroff became my partner, and still my partner today in all our businesses. So, but that was it. My, you know, I really it was all about uh, saving the world the way fitness saved me. So I just set out to build these companies to do that. And really, and we really had a kind of a different take on it all because you know for me it was really about you know there was so much clutter and so much stuff in diet and nutrition, and that was my thing. Was okay? How do you absolutely tell the truth and give people the real answers and you know get out there and build a business doing that so that's kind of the road that we took
0: all the way through excellent um can you tell me a little bit bo- more about the uh, the motorcycle gangs and stuff like how did <laughs> how did that play into your past
2: well it's just that you know what you know i, I started my first motorcycle when i was 14 and then you know you just kind of you got to learn how to get to the next day. So you just, that was kind of your family. So, you know, my, I think our group was the devil's henchmen. I was a hang around. So, you know, I never made it all the way to the, you know, top guys, everybody wanted to be a hell's angel. If you were in the motorcycle gangs, you know, but we were just a hang around group for the hell's angels and they just decide if you can stick around or not. So that was it. Just just hanging around that for those years, you know, always got in trouble and you know, you had to get to the next day. So you did what you did to yet. You did whatever you did to have to get to the next day, you know, but you know, I was a mechanic during those years as well. You know, so I, so I made a living, which was unlike most of my friends. They had other, other. <laughs> they were doing it in many other different ways, you know. And then, of course, sports is what kept me from going drugs and alcohol or any of those things, because I had to be okay to, to play, and I loved to play. Mm-hmm. And then I got into bodybuilding, and so that was that was really it. It was just a the typical life of an outlaw, you know. Nothing, nothing really any different. You go into a bar, you beat people up, you you, <laughs> you need something. You know, it's just kind of. Kind of the way it was, and then I, again, I did. I left that life, and that was you know, and went into business, and took all my energy and put it in that direction.
0: How did you get involved with it in the first place? I mean, you said at fourteen you got on your first motorcycle. Yeah. How did that turn it's into just the people
2: around me? You know, that was it. I just uh, when you were when you Harley's is all I ever had. So when you ride Harleys back in my day, we and now we make the joke today. I go, the only guys that had Harleys in my day were bad guys. The only guys right. that have Harleys today are rich guys. Right. You know. So it's a, and so you know. So when you had a Harley, you were just automatically a bad guy. Yeah. So you attracted bad guys and bad guys attracted you. So that's how you kind of got into it. You know, they got to like, I was always the youngest. Trust me. There was nobody in gangs at age 15, like motorcycle gangs are all older guys. I mean, they would come to my football games when I was in high school. And these are like 25, 30 year old guys, you know, then, you know, coming, they'd be coming drunk. Cheering. You know? you so, yeah. Cheering,
0: yeah. <laughs> so,
1: was this yeah. up in the Bay Area? It was Bay Area. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. San Francisco, Palo Alto area. That's the South Peninsula. You said it. 23, you kind of have a shift yeah. in your perspective or in your life. What influenced that? Were you seeing people that you were close to kind of falling off or getting arrested, I'm assuming, with being in a gang? Sure.
2: I mean, we were, you know, I got to the point where if I went any deeper, I would have been in trouble like everybody. I would have gotten in some really bad trouble. So I didn't. And uh, so I left, I, I, I flipped the switch at that point. And plus everybody, you know, there were guys were dying and, you know, you're just in jail so I just at that point I I just said to myself you know I just I had seen Claire I was so hooked on bodybuilding were you right around were you then
1: lifting at yeah that I time. was
2: lifting I was lifting for the last two years before that and that's what really got me into it I thought I was going to compete and once I got to that point there was nothing left to do other than train eat work and be on the straight and narrow in order to do that so where were
1: you getting your information back then that you now give to us
2: okay well peers back then so you know everyone it was just muscle magazines is where you start you know right. back right. then it was Weider and Hoffman those <laughs> were the magazines you read and pick up a book and at that point uh you know Arnold was you know competing in the Olympias during those years and so you'd kind of pick up one of those books Franco Colombo book and you'd read those things and just pretty much mimic what they did so it was really the peers or the people you aspired to be you just read what they were doing and and they were very well, they were ahead of their time. I mean, they, they, it's one thing I can tell you that these guys knew how to build muscle and feed muscle, you know, and how to diet and, right. and so forth appropriately. It's not like it's a whole lot different today, other than that we're talking about bodybuilding now and right. building large amounts of muscle. You wouldn't want to train that way if you're in a functional athlete, you know or if you were, uh, you know, be in different planes of motions, or even just the average person on the planet that wants to just stay in shape and be functional into old age, you're certainly not going to be working out in fixed planes of motion with heavy, heavy stuff. You know, but I loved it. I loved lifting heavy stuff. Right. You know, that was more fun than actually the bodybuilding competition itself.
1: Oh, yeah. Did they cover in, in the magazine, the books and everything, did they actually discuss nutrition?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nutrition. One thing you learn as a bodybuilder, that nutrition is far more important than training. Training was, it, it, we all loved to train. No one, but eating was a pain in the ass. Right. You had to pack your food, make it, eat every three hours, whether you like it or not. Off season, when you're trying to put on muscle, you're stuffing yourself. You're just full all the time. Getting ready for a show, you're dying of starvation. You're literally, we call, you know, your last six to eight weeks, what we call death days. Because you got to train, and this is, we overtrained back then, four right. or five hours a week. Four it, or five it, hours a day, I mean. Right. You oh know, and in, in splits, I mean, we're so stupid. But we, but But it worked. But it well, it did. You know, because you just, you know, but but we could have been a lot better if we didn't overtrain. You know, and of course that's what you look. now athletes, your top bodybuilders don't train as much as we did. They're much smarter than we are today. You know, and you know, and let's kind of just not talk about the drug side of it because whether it be natural or not, I mean, it's kind of the all of it's kind of the. There are a lot of different things about bodybuilding today than there were in my day. Um, but you know, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it's the same thing in pro sports. You look at pro athletes now; they don't train nearly what they did in the '80s. In the '80s, guys were breaking down all the time. Right. Nowadays, you know, because there's so much money in pro sports, they have to know how to train, and you can't overtrain. It's like in football; they don't even have contact in regular practice anymore. You know, it's all thud speed, which is different because you know that there's just too much yeah. going on, and you know things are a lot of things aren't good for the body. So yeah, I mean, but yeah, we learned about nutrition, and that was the most important part of our job, and it was, and that's how I got into it because. I got turned on by nutrition, like like, just some light went on inside my body because I, I saw what it did to me, you know when I was uh you know when I was in high school and and living with this family, uh, you know I didn't really have any food, so you know I was like you know before football practice I was always starving you know and I was never the guy that finished wind sprints anywhere near the top group and I was right. never the guy that could, I was always tired you know and then one day I I happened to have access to like five sandwiches right. And I ate them all before practice, and I ate them, and I went through practice, and I'm not, my coach goes, everything goes like this: What the hell got into you today? You're just beating everybody and everything. Wow! And that was the switch. That something. was the day yep. I knew it was a hundred percent related. My energy potential is one hundred percent related to nutrition, and from that point on, I just would study a little more about it, a little more about it, a little more about it. And now the things I do, you know, with nutrition, I can you know change your body in a week, and I can make you feel di- completely different in a day. Because we know what we can do with nutrition right. nowadays, but I'm just saying that's where it started. That's what flipped the switch to nutrition over even training or anything.
1: We have so many uh, fad diets and myths and everything today. Did you guys have it back then as well? Oh yeah. Well, not so much because we were really locked in our
2: world of uh, we were locked in our world of how bodybuilders ate. so sure. yeah. So there was really no myths in bodybuilding. They just would write a different story about the same stuff. Right. Because you had to sell magazines. Right, you know, but but what happened was, to your point, the myths, and what I really set out to do in the seventies was to start to dispel these myths, and the myths were that, that everyone weight loss market, whether been, I'm not putting these companies down, but Weight Watchers or Jenny Craig or Nutrisystems, they were proliferating everywhere.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And the reason was because people were gaining weight like crazy. And it really started in the 60s and 70s when life became sedentary. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, fast food became, when I say fast food, I'm not necessarily knocking fast food, but the types of food that were very addicting, you know, and French fries Mm -hmm. with the burgers with sauce are very addicting, you know. So people are eating that, not moving, and everybody's starting getting a fat. So if you look at the obesity cycle, that's where you know pretty much started in the 60s, 70s. So these weight loss places were coming up like crazy and they were very low calorie diets. They didn't even want you to exercise because God forbid you put on muscle that would negate the weight you're yep. taking off on a scale. And exactly. you were paying by your pound to lose weight. Yeah. So they didn't know anything about exercise. And so, but they were you know giving you low calorie diets and so forth. Now, I really wanted to get rid of that stuff. And then the phony testimonial I wouldn't even call them phony. They were, maybe they were real, but that wasn't really the truth of what's going to happen to you. The rebound effect from some of these diets were really nasty. So my goal was to set out and kind of just to get people on the straight and narrow. Right. You know, but, you know, nothing's really worked. And when it gets right down to it, if you look obese, you know, no one solved the weight loss, the the weight gain crisis. It is, you know, people ask me, what's the best diet? What's the one that works? It's the one that works for you. Right. End of day. It might be high protein. It might be a higher carb, you know, end of day. But you do got to get some fruits and vegetables in there somewhere and just eat lean protein. And try to do it as many times a day as you can, but keep your calories a little bit less than you burn so you can lose the weight and then level off. And that's it. And there's no magic to it. But you got to move. And The more you move, the more you can eat.
1: When you uh, got into the world with Apex, and even before Apex with Gold's Gym, where did the thinking come from as far as creating the five components, which is what Apex was known for? Yeah. And <clears throat> the reason I ask that is, as myself as a trainer for the first time in 95, you come into NASM, uh, and now I've been there for three years, and we're now going to hear the fourth or fifth nutrition expert to come in, and everybody kept changing how we were doing and what we're supposed to do, and you come in and spell it out. Within five minutes, it was everybody's eyes just wide open, and it was so simple. So where was... If there was a thought process for you, how did it come about? It's these five components, but in particular, in the order that they were in, right. it all made sense to us. Yeah,
2: and it's, it's, it just evolved over time to put them in five components. It was something that we were doing naturally as bodybuilders. If I can, the, the if you can save and build muscle while you lose body fat, well, if you tell that to a doctor or someone that it's impossible, you can't do that because <laughs> you're going to lose muscle. Because And if you look at all your studies – Every pound of weight lost conventional diet-wise, a quarter to a half is muscle. Now, the bigger the deficit of the diet, the more muscle you lose. That's strictly
0: diet without resistance
2: training. Well, even with resistance training, you can lose muscle while you're dieting. Mm -hmm. Really, you you can and it's not uncommon. And not only that, if you're obese, it's okay to lose muscle because that muscle came from carrying all the extra fat around. So that's not too bad, but... The idea, when, when, when you would look at people and tell them, I can actually build muscle while I'm losing body fat, you look at some person that's a scientist and they just go, you can't do that. It's just mathematically <laughs> impossible. I said, so so the five compile go, this is what we do, right? So, you know, words, our food intake decides, okay, what we're trying to do is starve fat and feed muscle. So our food intake is is going to be either more than the calories we burn if we're trying to put on muscle or it's going to be less than the calories we burn if we're going to lose fat. Well, what if I want to lose fat and put on muscle? Well, now it gets tricky. Mm-hmm. So you take your calories down below the calories you burn, and now your body is going to use your tissue. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, it's more fat tissue. And resistance training, to your point, resistance training directs your body to use fat rather than muscle because you need it. Yep. You need muscle. You're proving it to you. But it doesn't always protect it perfectly. Mm-hmm. And you can look at almost any study. will show you that. So you can still lose a little bit of muscle during that period. So, as we're now taking fat away and eating a little bit of muscle, and our second component then at that particular time is looking at, we, we would also add cardiovascular work. And the reason we would add the cardiovascular work, okay, the first point where diet is a little bit less than the calories we burn, but cardiovascular work allowed us to have more calories. So, and we direct it to you, and we would get to that little that cardiovascular area where we were just kind of, you know, burning fat, a little extra fat for like, say, 20 minutes. And then the big one, now, now you've got what you've got now is you've got a bigger deficit, right? And you've got food that's giving you your energy and so forth. It can't be too big a deficit, but there, but you're also kind of directing body from a cardiovascular standpoint to use fat, right? And then you're getting to your third, and that is now you've got this deficit. Now you're gonna feed that deficit with nutrition without calories. And that was a supplementing piece, mm-hmm. and that was the magic to the oh, whole okay. thing. Supplementing with your amino acids, with proteins, with low calorie, with low less calories, so you're stripping yep. it from food. You're taking your multivitamin mineral because you're losing that from the tissue from your muscles during that whole period. So now you're putting it back. You're putting all all that stuff back in, and then the fourth, of course, was resistance training. Right. You know, so that was the fourth component. Now, so now now you're giving the again the muscle a reason to stay there. You've got you got you know work doing your cardiovascular work, getting rid of this, and you've got your fat decreasing diet, if you will. And then the fifth one was the constant adjustment because every week you're going to have to make an adjustment because your body will change that quickly when you're putting it all together. And that's where the trainer came in. That's why it was so important. I said, you got to have a, someone's going to measure your body fat because the scale's not going to work. You're going to have to use the body fat because you're going to be putting on muscle and it's going to piss you off if you're not losing weight. That's right. And it's okay over time because you look 10 times better. But in the first few weeks, people would get pissed off in the gym. Yeah. They would go, God, I put on, I've gained two pounds. I mean, I've, my, my, my pants fit better and everything else, but I, but I want to lose the weight. We'd have to sell them on the idea. So we had to measure their body fat and go, oh, okay. Because they can see the body fat going down on a scale. They can actually right. read it that made them happy. Right? Right. So we had to do that. So that's how the five components came. Okay. And by the way, I wrote the five components on a long plane trip to Africa. Really? Yeah, I was uh, doing a seminar. A group, uh, a group of clubs, the Virgin Atlantic, a uh, Virgin clubs, uh, Virgin Atlantic. I think that's the name of them now. But they were, they were a Sport and Health Club back in the day, South Africa. Okay. And so I just got. I was just saying, I got to put all this down. So this was nineteen ninety four 93. Wow. So I put a, I wrote the five components on that plane trip. I need to, but I've been, I've been doing it and yeah, kind yeah. Of teaching it, but I never really put it all together in one and then stamped it out. And then we used that in 24 hour fitness. We used it around the world forever. Oh, and for us trainers, yeah. that was, yeah that was the
1: magic formula. It was is exactly yeah, it. That was, yeah. uh, for a lot of us, that was our aha moment.
2: Yeah. Because you know, the, the problem with supplements is that's another one of those nasty worlds. You know what I mean? Right. With so much crap and, and, and well, things out there. Today. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Well, not just, not just that, but I mean, even, but back then, you know, you had, You know, the muscle magazines talking about putting on 30 pounds of muscle, just take this amino acid or something like that, you know, and it's just, it was crazy stuff. But let's make it, let's let's be absolutely true here. You do need to supplement if you're going to put on muscle and lose body fat at the same time. It's impossible not to. And plus, you're you're in a, anytime you're in a calorie deficit, you're in a nutrient deficit. Correct. And you've got to at least get the nutrition back in just from a health standpoint Correct. You know, during, during those type of dieting and so forth. So it's almost criminal not to supplement during that. But that's, that's just simple little stuff like multivitamins, fish oils, and things like that. But to put on muscle, you know, you know, using the essential amino acids before and after a workout, using protein in that window before and after a workout are important things that we learned
0: over the years that can make all the difference in the world. So you went from Apex to NASM? Is yeah. Apex
2: was the first company I started. And then okay. what happened with NESM, um, and to Mike's point, when I started there, all I did was I actually licensed the name. And I, I, I licensed it in 96, I think, to use the name. Bob Goldman still owned it. He was the founder mm-hmm. of it. And then I, I use it and I built a, I, I built another course. So we had the five-day course, which is the one you took, yep. which was the crazy one. I mean, no one in the world had ever done anything like that. <laughs> I mean, NESM was this diamond in the rough when I discovered it. You know, Tom Purvis and, and Nick oh, yeah. Simon, those guys yep. were the bomb. They were the bomb. I just it's loved crazy. listening to them, yeah. And uh, they're still around. They're, you know, really? At least Tom's still big time. And uh, so they, um, so I licensed the name. I said, listen, i got to build another course. That's just too long. I can't put it in our clubs because it's just it, – I can't get trainers to do that. So we built a two-day course. Yep. And then uh, we, we got the two-day course, and a five-day course would be the advanced course. And then and we had Tom taught them all and Mitch – uh, and then I brought in some more. We grew so fast. It was crazy. And then we grew so fast, I go, I'm building someone else's company. It's not even mine. I just licensed the name. So I kind of put the feet to the fire to them and said, I'm going to walk away and do my own thing. And they said, okay, well, we'll sell it to you. So I bought it in 97, I think. 98, yeah. right in there. Right in there. I bought the, I bought it. And then, we, then I brought in Mike Clark's team, because I didn't know anything about exercise. I was a bodybuilder. What do we know about exercise? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was just one big guy, right? Uh, so... Uh, I brought in Mike Clark, and that's where we got the OPT model. I bought his company and merged him to get, put him in there. Uh, I made him a partner after about three or four years, and uh, you know, a, a, an equity partner, and uh, we built it what it is today, the biggest in the world, and it still is today. In fact, I'll be speaking at their conference here next month, I think. Really? Yeah. Spectacular. Yeah, yeah, at the Optic Conference. Yeah. How did you find Michael? I, you know, he, uh, Someone told me about him. In fact, it was Rod Korn, uh, okay. which is uh, one of the guys I work with today even because we have a new uh, – we have PTA Global now. Um, but, um, yeah, so he, he was the one that introduced me. He said, you got to listen to this guy. This guy is phenomenal. So I listened to him. We met and I go, okay, this guy definitely sounds like he, he's got it all here. And so I just, uh, he was working with a bunch of athletes at the time. Not that I really cared about that. That wasn't important to me, but that was kind of his business. But I realized that this is where that, that connection happened. I realized that the f- training of the future, isn't, you know, the, the, what we were teaching people and, you know, the sets and reps and flix, fixed planes, planes of motion and so forth. It really was going to be more physical therapy, which was functional training. Yeah. And, and, and Gary Gray, you know, uh, give him most of the credit for being the father of that. You know, so he helped us a lot with NESM. Mike took it kind of to, to a different level, correct? you know, with OPT and really, and, and, and really took functional training in a different place. And when we started putting it in our gyms, certifying people through NESM and functional training and like we were doing with the OPT model. I mean, we took we took more heat. Trainers resisted it. They oh, didn't yeah. want to do it. I mean, every pioneer's got arrows in his back, and nobody had more than me. I can tell you that right now. Because we, we we challenged tradition. We changed the world. Overnight in gyms, it took us like five years, but I'm saying that's basically overnight considering what they were doing before and what they're doing today. You look at it, it really all started with NESM. Correct. With what we, what we yeah, did at that particular point.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, bodybuilding set up our, our industry. Oh, absolutely. You know,
2: was, I totally agree, yeah. Yeah, it
0: was the foundation for personal training. And to go from, you know, fixed planes of motion to, okay, now we're going to go and explore different planes of motion. There's more than one, guys, that we can do a, in a training session. Yeah. You know, I can see that there's there would be some resistance with it. Do you remember um, some of the numbers that you did? when you first came on to NESM, what were they doing before? And then yeah. when you switch it from that five-day course to the two-day course, yeah. like how did it change for that? I can give you
2: a, a rough estimate. I know we, we were, they were doing about 25. How many, how many are there 20 guys in your class? Let's just give me an example. Probably. Yeah, so every, they were doing that every two months. So okay. 20, they would certify 20 people every two months. <laughs> <laughs> and let me jump
1: in there for a second. Okay. They, were, they were so proud that they had a 40% passing rate. Yeah, right oh, back my gosh. then. Right. And Neil comes in and I remember the conversation we had back then and he said this isn't a business. W- what are you doing? Yeah. And but that was the whole thing. If you made it through NASM, you were it was a cult. Yeah, yeah, you well, were oh, absolutely you were in. Yeah, yeah. It was. And you were proud to put that on your card and everything, but as a business person, yeah. What is this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this makes no
2: sense. Yeah, it wasn't. And and it was a nonprofit organization, and Bob Goldman had a lot of other stuff going on at the same time. So he kind of let people use it as a platform to kind of sell the stuff they were doing. Yeah. That's kind of how Purvis certainly built his business. Oh, anyways. absolutely. Absolutely started there. But, you know, the other thing about the 40% passing rate, I would look at it like this. Well, you should be embarrassed of that. <laughs> it just means you're doing something really wrong, whether you're not teaching them the right stuff that's on the test right. or the test is really screwed up, you know. Yeah. So you can't blame the students for a 40% passing rate. But I know they, that was their bragging rights you uh, know, back then, Yeah, which, of course, you have to change now. They, you can't even have that now with the uh, NCCA accreditation. You can't. They have, you have to have a higher passing rate. Yeah. Not that you give people answers, but you right. you got to make sure that, that people understand what you're teaching them. And the test is the only way to. Kind of proved that but we moved it then we started doing because don't forget well i had a distribution channel see the beauty of business and especially for us was that whatever business we buy or whatever business we take over like just today we just mark and i just bought a couple more businesses and we can take that make that a good product and then drop it into our distribution channel and it's accessible so i took NSM and dropped it into our apex distribution channel we were in 2,000 clubs around the world at that point so I would just go into the trainer, say, "This is a new certification. Everybody going to want to do this, and we've got this course out there." So next thing you know, we're doing two thousand certifications a month. Wow! <laughs> so we blew, we blew it up.
1: That's, That's incredible. Yeah. It is yeah. great. Yeah.
2: I wouldn't say the next thing you know. It took a few years to get there, but right? <laughs> but, it, but we got there.
1: One of the things that uh, that I've heard over the years um, of people talking about, and I I can. I can tell you when it was for me, and I'm always curious whether it's in fitness or outside of fitness and just business in general, is that aha moment. When did you have that aha moment of, I'm on to something. This is
2: going to work. Okay, so um, I guess, you know what, it's it's a good question because... I've had them more recently than I did back then. Back really? then, my head was down, down, I, I was, my nose was to the grindstone. All right. I thought about was saving the world with fitness. I made that commitment when I was 23, when I said, Fitness saved my life, I'm gonna save the world with fitness. So I made that commitment. So I just kept working, 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 working. Knowing that um, I, by surrounding myself with like people, mm-hmm. you gotta find, to, to be successful in business, you have to find people that work for you that have the same self interest. And if you look at the people that work for me, you will see they also want to save the world. Mm-hmm. It's the ones that are mercenaries that are there for the dollar, or anything, and I have no problem with that because I mean sometimes your your best employee is the one that sells out for hard cash. Right. You know, they'll do anything sure. right sure. <laughs> Whatever you tell them to do, <laughs> right you know so but you're passionate about saving the world. And if you look at all my all like the top people that have been with me for years and years and years. Yeah, uh, they're the people that really have the same heart and soul that I do. So that I just aligned myself with those people, kept my head down. Here's where we're going. We're just going to be, and we're going to make sure that everyone has the right information and everything else. But well, the aha moment that I had is when, when, I, when I created the body book. And, and the bodybug was what, was well certainly the first activity monitoring device in the weight loss business in other words it wasn't just an accelerometer right. it was you know it was a, it was a, a really in free living measured calories properly so i just attached our software to it so we could actually see how many calories you really burned and then i built the program around that and that was my aha moment when i said you know what i finally finally got to a point point, point where i know this will make a huge difference in the world now Again, it was the beginning of calories being front and center. And since then, and since that day, um, I was part of a committee that actually was involved in making those decisions about getting calories printed front and center all the way around. Because I was invited to this conference and I spoke at it. Along with a Harvard professor, so here's a guy that never made it out of high school, barely. barely. <laughs> you know, i I've got to go with this Harvard professor, but they liked me more for some reason. These were all big top CEOs in the world of food companies, all of them, because they were worried about being sued by being the next tobacco, right? Really, they were all these companies, so they brought me in undercover and they said, "Listen, we're going to talk about what do we need to do." And I said, "You got to get, you got to start telling people how many calories are on stuff, and you got to call it out front and center so that you're not the bad guy, you know, so they can make their make their decisions and so." And I went through the thing with the body bug and I showed them what we do and all this right. and. That really changed the world. And then, of course, all the knockoffs you've seen, all the activity monitoring device came from that. They all came from the body bug. The body bug was ugly. It was a big old thing on your arm. But that's the only way you can accurately measure yeah. calorie. When the other things out there, like whether it be Fitbit, again, I'm not knocking the company, or any of the other ones, Jawbones, or any of these things that, they, that had come out, they're not accurate. They're yeah. not even close in, in many different things. They're accurate in some activities, but they're right. not in others. And I'm the psycho for being accurate that I couldn't, I didn't, Why I had to have a clinical device. And the body bug was a clinical device. It had all the white pages that proved that it was the best measuring tool for calories and free living that there was. And so I was able to build a good program around it. And We were wildly successful. We sold millions and millions. Because oh, you know, yeah. it got in the Biggest Loser. Because right. it was the first, right. the Biggest Loser put it on. And uh, we, were, we were on the ground floor for the first four or five years, the Biggest Losers. I did the seminar for all the contestants, you know, as they, right. as they came aboard in the very beginning. And uh, we, so we were deeply involved with that show, and the body bug could tell us how many calories they were burning we would, crazy amounts, needless to say you know too many i would yeah. I would put a customer <laughs> through that that's for sure right. or a client through that but yeah, so that was that was an aha moment for me, but nowadays you know i've got this you know the, the thing I, I call play span, and uh there's lifespan there's health span, right those are the two you know, things that we all know life is how long you live and and health span is how long you're really functionally able to take care of yourself you know in, in life and that's what we call health span. and unfortunately there's a big gap between the two in the united states we break down we spend the last 10 years of our lives on machines or triple yeah. bypasses or whatever and no one wants to do that then there's play span how long are you able to do the things you love to do right so if you're a cyclist your goal would be your play span lasts your lifespan that means by the time you're 100 years old you went on your last bike ride you came down parked the bike in the garage and you died yep Okay, you're a golfer. You're on the 18th green, right? You make your last putt, but you're 102 and you die. But you were doing what you love to do. You weren't doing as well as when you were 25, but you're still doing it. So I call that play span. So I've been around doing a world tour. I just got back from uh, China and England about what do you have to do to take your play span to that level? And so from a nutritional standpoint, Mm -hmm. what do you need to do? From an exercise standpoint, you need to stay active, obviously, and keep your weight down. And but from a nutritional standpoint, there's just certain things that you need to do. So I've got this r- really unique formula of you know simple multivitamin. You know if you if you're not getting fish two to four times a week, you know, an omega three that gets your omega index up to a certain place, and your multivitamins just your multivitamin mineral formula would cover anything your food isn't covering. But you got to eat the best you can, obviously. And the same thing with calcium, if you're getting, and you have to do it all from womb to tomb. So it's not like you can just start when you're 70. There's nothing curative about, well, I won't say nothing cured about nutrition as a whole, but there's nothing curative about supplements. They're strictly preventative. If you can fill your gaps throughout life, you won't break down. You know, I'm not talking, you know, obviously there's genetic things that, you can't, that right. you can't avoid, but that's a very tiny, tiny percentage. No one's a prisoner of their genes. And 80% of all the problems that we have right now related to health are just from bad habits. And, and, and if you can nutritionally keep your body whole, and it's just a couple little simple things that you can do, you can play to the end. That's really what the goal is. So I, I so I had that aha moment on that whole thing. I mean, cause the deeper I get into supplements, the more, and, the, and to know that you can do them right rather than wrong, Right. the more I know what we can do. Because we weren't supposed to live this long. I think that's the big thing. I mean, yeah. when you realize we're, we're all supposed to die in our 30s but we cheated death, you know, Alexander Fleming, and penicillin, you know, shame on him. <laughs> the, li- <laughs> the world changed the next day. And the, we average lifespan was 49. And now, you know, almost overnight to 70. Now we're at 79 in the U.S., but we don't live well. We don't live well the last 10 years. Healthspan is only 68. So, again, I think that's really, that's the big aha moment I had was at that point, you know, where I realized, yeah, you know, I really have, I really have something very, very big right now. Very, very big that the world needs to know. And if every parent knew that, they'd make sure their kids had what they needed. You know, right, right now. Because they, they, every parent has seen their parent break down.
1: Absolutely. They've seen their parent
2: yeah, so. either go through heart, heart failure. They've seen their parent go through uh, osteoporosis. They've seen them break and they're fall, they're, they fall. You know, they've seen all these things happen. And they, and, or Alzheimer's or dementia. These, most of these things are preventable by filling your body with all the stuff your body can actually use while it can use it. It's too late after. When he can't use it anymore, exactly. you can stuff it all in there you want and it ain't going to do any good. <laughs> right. <laughs> so anyway, that's what I'm on to now.
0: Love it. Why does it seem to be such an issue for the general population to understand that it, it's 80% nutrition or that exercise plays such a role in our health span and in our lifespan? Why doesn't it seem to be clicking for people?
2: Well, it's not. I don't think it, I don't think it doesn't click. I think what you've got is you've got just the, the, the resistance to it because um, the hardest thing to do is change behavior and eating is such a behavioral thing and to get someone to eat properly there's no way in the world people don't know how to eat properly if you live in the U.S. and if you've made it through high school
0: yeah it's amazing that I still have clients asking me today you know, what should I eat I'm like it's pretty straightforward yeah. <laughs> you know I, I do
2: that. So I'll have, a, I'll have a room for a thousand people in a room overweight people and I'll go like this so if I really have to tell you how to eat why are you asking me that question Okay, you, let me ask you this. What's better, salmon for your protein or a fried steak? <laughs> okay, so they laugh. Okay, they go, Okay, skinless chicken, okay, or a pork sausage. Okay, I mean, do, I, do I really need to tell you? Okay, lean protein, fruits and vegetables. Oh, should you eat those or should you have a Coca-Cola or a soda with sugar in it? Which one? What do you think? Right. Okay, white rice or wheat rice? Uh, what do you think? So I said, well, so why are we having this conversation? All you need to know is you, if you want to lose weight, you have to eat less. But now, again, I know it's not the most palatable thing. If you're used to eating fried foods with ketchup and sugar and all that, it's very hard to break that cycle. And that's why they're resistant. So they're looking for some magic little world, different thing that goes, oh, God, that tastes great and I can do it. That's just not going to happen because it would have happened a long time ago. Mm-hmm. It really is just finding creative ways to make food taste good that isn't fried and got sugar all over it or fat all over it. Because those are the things that we're addicted to. Unfortunately, that's evolution. We're addicted to sugar, fat, and salt. So, And every food scientist knows that. So they make food that way Do you get addicted to it. And it's just not really good for you. Right. You know, at the end of the day, so you got to figure out how to again you know, work around those things. So that's what it is. It's, it's they understand it; they really do. That they what they sometimes they don't understand is that you have to eat less calories than you burn, and people don't know how many calories they really burn. That's the big and one. that's what it really comes down to. But you know what? There's one thing that doesn't lie, and that's the measurement. I mean, like this. People lie; measurements, don't. math doesn't. And so <laughs> I make it real simple. Uh-huh. Well, that ain't working.
1: Okay, <laughs> so I was telling yeah. Cameron at one point. I've heard your lecture so many times, just as you were just saying that people lie, measurements don't, yeah. um, that I, I almost could have done it word for word yeah. because it, it was it was made so simple for all of us to understand. And then if we wanted to go deeper into it, we were able to, and I thought that was uh, yeah great for the industry. See,
2: making it to the gym is what, 30 minutes a day, 40 minutes a day, hour a right. day, right? Twenty-three hours left to eat. That's hard. Yeah, to yep. eat right, it's really hard. Yep. Because if you're hungry, let's say you're. Have re- you ever been really hungry? Like you miss a meal, you've been really starved, and you got a steaming lasagna smothered in <laughs> cheese over here, and then you got skinless chicken and broccoli over here. Well, of course, you want this one. <laughs> are you kidding me? Right. And that's what your average person does. Looks at, and, and that's the way they are. At some point, they give in, and then they go, "Oh, I screwed up. I might as well just finish screwing up." Yep. You know, and which is obviously the wrong answer. But I'm just telling you, that's kind of... So eating is really difficult. I mean, it's a, it's a significant behavior change. You have to want it. So I always tell people it's motivation. There's no magic diet. You got to find one that works for you and eat, eat as, make it as healthy as possible. But it's how motivated are you? If I had a gun to your head like this and I said, you screw up, I'm going to pull the trigger, you would do exactly what you were supposed to do. If I said, I'll give you $2 million... On December 31st, if you lose 40 pounds in June, you will lose 40 pounds. That's motivation. You know, we get all these stars ready for their movies and stuff like this, and people always go, God, come on. They all all get to their goal. Well, they get paid $20 million for a movie. You do whatever I tell you to do.
0: (laughs) It's their job. Right,
2: exactly. That's right. right. So that's the motivation. You make a living that way. I make a living being in shape, you know? So I do curtail what I eat. I love to drink. Scotch and chocolate are my two favorite foods. (laughs) You know, I I I always tell people that. I I lived a Spartan life as an athlete, right? I ate clean. I didn't drink anything, really, until after I retired, Right. So um, I can eat all the scotch and chocolate I want. I'll, I'll die of old age before that. will kill me now. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys that drank early, you're screwed, <laughs> okay? Yeah, so, yeah, but anyway, but I mean, yeah, so yeah, I mean, I, of course I would love to do a lot of other things and, and eat bad, or when I say bad, I would, there's things I just stay away from. Them. But that also gets you, you get addicted to eating good. I always tell people, you know, just do it for a few months and then you won't crave those same foods you used to crave. It's only in the beginning when you go crazy craving that pizza when you're losing weight, you know. And we all did as bodybuilders, of course. We couldn't wait till we finished. But, you know, we made a living being bodybuilders. So, of course, you had to to clean up your diet. You go bad for a week then go back to it, you know that's what I like about some of these new things that are out there. I always like, you know, someone's going to maybe something good, like the intermittent fasting diet stuff, right? That, they, that's all taken from us as bodybuilders. Cause we would go three days low, one day high. So you go three days, pretty much all protein. You're even down below 50 grams of carbs, which wow. is some of these intermittent fasting days. We did that for years in the 80s. And then you, then you have a day where you load up the carbs and stay glycogen loaded. It would last you until you'd be miserable by the second day. But then right. you go back to you, always knowing it right around the corner. You can you pretty much ad lib. You know, you can, you know, you could uh, ad lib them, you eat what you need it, what you want so that always worked, and so that's just an old bodybuilding thing, kind of tweaked around another way, you know. But the only problem with that, you, can, you can't be an athlete and do that, but you can no, right. for a regular person, you know. It's not it's something you can you can at least try it and see if that if that makes a difference. Otherwise, I just like I like the higher protein approach, where you know, about fifty percent of your calories are protein, and then uh, the rest of it's you know fruits and vegetables and carbs that comes out to about the other fifty. You don't have to look for fat; the fat's in the protein, you know. So you don't have to worry about that.
1: Right. Um, Anyway. Now those numbers for you changed over the course of the year? Absolutely, years?
2: no question. That's a good question, Mike. Uh, uh, Yes, they have. Uh, I, you know, I, ideally, if I could get everybody to eat good carbs instead of bad carbs, right. uh, Which would be like you know your whole wheat type uh, products and you know some of the vegetables and you know even starchy stuff is good as long as you eat the skin with it, right? right? and get the fiber and stuff. Um, you know, you can go as high as you know sixty percent and that's what we used to tell people yeah. 60%, you know, maybe 20% protein, 20% fat. Right exactly. in there was probably the number we would put out there and we could do that but most people are too sedentary. to You know. You don't need to do that. You're going to be more satiated. We've learned now that protein is far more satiating than all of these things together except very high fiber. High fiber is always going to be, you know, because it fills your stomach up and it kind of keeps you from eating. Mm-hmm. You know, if you ever just dump in about, you know, 20 grams of fiber in one meal, let me tell you, you don't want to be in the same room with other people. <laughs> but, but, I, but I will tell you that I really don't bloat your stomach and kind of, kind of quell the appetite a little bit. But yeah, protein is more satiating. So I always you know, as people get older, they become less and just because you go to the gym five days a week there's still another 163 hours in the week that you're sitting on your butt at work because you make a living sitting down right so you can't call yourself active just because you go to the gym five days a week you you can't that's not active so I, I you don't need the carbs right you don't need nearly as many as we used to tell people uh, as you get older, you can just you get down around. You can go down around forty. You know, it was around the zone diet works, and we used to make fun of it in the old days because we Twilight were because we were very active. Because <laughs> we were very so active, we needed. We exactly. were miserable <laughs> eating forty percent carbs as active. Right. I was an active athlete. Even I played. You know, I started playing. Went back and played adult basketball after I retired from bodybuilding. So yeah, my calorie, my always well, always around there. Well, I, I don't, we don't tell people that anymore. We say, you know, say close to, that 40, 30, 30 is probably a good number, like a South Beach type diet. I've I've watched just people, you gravitate towards that as you get less and less mobile. And I am definitely less mobile than I was only because I travel, I live in airplanes. And right. it's not like the old days where you can walk on an airplane. They get really pissed at you <laughs> if you do now. You know, and so I don't get to move nearly as much. I'm pretty much trapped with my job.
0: Right. So you Sold Apex, went in with NASM. Or, well, no,
2: I had both at the same time.
0: You had both at the same yeah. time. How did Dot Fit come to be?
2: Because what we did is we, um, I merged Apex into the parent company of 24-Hour Fitness. So that's how Mark and I met. Um, and Mark started 24-Hour Nautilus, and then you had Ray Wilson with Family Fitness, and Mark uh, put together an equity group that merged those two companies together and became 24-Hour Fitness. And Mark uh, was just that brilliant, brilliant man that uh, was Mark of that, uh, you know, he's 10 years younger than me, but he's at least 20 years smarter than me, you know. So he, he realized all the top goals gyms in the country, they were doing more in personal training than they were in memberships. No one had ever done anything like that, but it was because of the nutrition program because we, we made the trainers do nutrition. You can't do personal training without nutrition. We made them do it.
0: That was a Gold's Gym Nutrition. That was
2: Gold's analysis. Gym. Yeah. Well, no, this was Apex.
0: Oh, it's Apex. Oh, yeah, don't forget, okay. I
2: left Gold's okay. Nutrition Analysis. I left that with them, but they couldn't do anything without me. Yeah. I took the whole company with me. So we formed Apex, and so all the Gold's were going to stay with me. They were going to stay with that program. So they stayed with whatever I went. So that's what they did. So we had a good, God, we had a good 200 Gold's Gyms that had an Apex. Okay. So Mark goes around looking at all these gyms. He goes, hell, let's just buy these gyms. It's going to be a lot easier. So I always make the joke in my keynote lectures. I go, so Mark just went out there and got these guys together and bought like hundred goals gyms in two days. <laughs> it was unbelievable how he swept through the place and all the big ones in San Francisco and Oregon and Washington wow. and uh, and Hawaii and all these ones in Texas. You know, he bought them all up. So I go, Shh. all of a sudden, Mark's half my business, right? Because they had all the Apex programs in these clubs, right? And I'm half his business because I'm all I'm guy controlling all the personal training. So he goes. We gotta do a deal here. So we did. So I took Apex and I kept it. We kept it a wholly owned subsidiary, and it stayed under the uh, Fitness Holdings Worldwide, which is the parent company of, uh, of Twenty Four Hour Fitness at the time. So we kept it as a wholly owned. Then we sold Twenty Four Hour Fitness in two thousand five, to Fortsman Little, and it was a huge sale. In fact, uh, I'll give you. We sold it for one point six eight billion dollars, and seven hundred million was because of the nutrition program. Wow. Yeah, because that's how much it, it. that's how much it contributed to the bottom line. Wow. And we sold for a 10 times multiplier. get a hundred million in nutrition a year. And, with it, we, and we had big margins because we, cause you know, the fact that's what Mark, the genius he is. That's why he bought apex and put it in there because now your margins are not 50%. They're 70% because you own right. the company you're buying from. Right. So that's how we ended up with this crazy, brilliant. crazy EBITDA. Yeah. Well, he was brilliant. Yeah. He was smarter, way smarter than me. But that's why we're still partners today. Right. So that was a great sale. We all made, made out, you know, obviously very, very well. I got paid twice because I got paid for Apex and then for that, that, that as well. And then NESM, I kept NESM, of course. And I owned it. Mark and I were never partners in that. I kept that. So as we moved on, I st- when, I, when we sold that, I stayed on at 24 Hour Fitness because I had to kind of contractually help them kind of move in with this new group. Um, but I didn't like being confined because they rolled Apex up into 24 Hour Fitness. So now Apex was no longer a wholly owned subsidiary, they wanted it for themselves. Well, you can't say that to me because i got to save the world, right? Right. So I left them in 2008 to start DotFit. So DotFit is nothing more than an evolution of Apex. And I kept NESM during the time, but we sold NESM during right after, right at the, like 2010, right in there. Uh, We sold NESM, and I use a lot of those things because DotFit is a huge, giant platform, but I still have all the intellectual property of NESM in there as well. Um, we sold them at that time because everything was just, per- it was a perfect world. It was a perfect storm at that particular time. And needless to say, uh, it wasn't just a lot of money. It was just the right thing to do so I could take DotFit really to the next level. I dumped in you know, millions and millions and millions into it to be able to get it to the next level. And of course, that's where it is today. So DotFit I mean, is really the evolution of everything we have done. It is just the, you know, sort of the final generation of what we're trying to do to save the world. So it's got the combination holistic platform of, of everything. And then that's why we just bought these new companies. I don't have a no-compete with NESM anymore, so uh, we started you know, PTA Global and bought mm-hmm. that, and we're going to take that and kind of keep it confined to the gym. No, 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 I don't want to compete with NESM. That's my baby, and I'll always love it and always have the greatest respect for it and everything else. But PTA Global is going to really be, we really need it for our health clubs because it's really going to target the trainer in the health club and how to endear themselves to the client. So that it's not, we always like to say, we create, we don't just create training sessions. We create an experience, you know, so you've got to be more than that. We train the person inside the body, not just the body. And that's really what PTA Global is about. That's going to separate it in the gym business. We need that for our gyms. you So that's what we're doing now.
0: Something that's critical to that point that uh, Mike taught me when we first started our mentorship, when he first started mentoring me was um, more so interpersonal skills. So relating to the client, going deep with them. Um, are you guys working on something like that right now oh, with yeah. PTA Global?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. In fact, if you look at our behavior change and exercise course, uh, that is a uh, advanced uh, CEC for uh, and and so clubs buy that more than they buy our certification because hey, diesel. So uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, th- that is something that we really specialize in. That's really all we're doing is working on that aspect of it the most. And I'm not the expert in that. You know, we've had, you know, Bobby Capuccio, we had him, he did, he's a big part of creating that course, behavior change and exercise. We're just polishing it up, cleaning it up and making it a big part of the curriculum. Cause yes, that's, that's really what the focus is. We just made a, a new foundations course. that's only 10 hours. You could take, you could take your favorite customer service person you ever met, whether it be a waiter or a waitress in a restaurant, someone in a hotel and say, do you want to be a trainer? And they would say, they would, and if they said, yeah, I'd love to be. Because, you know, you, that's, that's that's the person you want as a trainer. They know right. how to relate to people, right? Yep. And they're just good. They're just good. They're outspoken and all this. And so, okay, they could take this 10-hour course and go on the floor and train somebody. Now, they still have to serve an internship with one of our trainers, but that's our foundation. That leads to the PTA Global Certification. But it really deals with that. How do you get inside the person's head and design a workout they want to do? Diesel, come here.
0: Sorry. That's all right. Sorry. Got Neil's come, yeah. dog here. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I'm Diesel. Just wants to be yeah. loved. No, well, let's all. Cool.
2: Stop petting him then, he won't.
0: He's old, real old.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Diesel. Come on. Come on. Come on. Let's go, dog. It's like I can't back yeah, up, there Dad. Go. <laughs> all right. So yes, yeah, that is a big focus of ours, working on uh, the client-trainer relationship.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest things for me is just being able to communicate with somebody. Because I mean, I took pride in myself before on, okay, you know, my clients just come in, I kill them in their workouts, they're out of here. But I think something with my retention changed when I started to connect with somebody more yeah. on a deeper level yeah. and um, listen a little bit better. It's something that I feel that a lot of the the big certification companies don't do very well right now. Um, Agreed. And that is something that PTA Global is looking Special to do. I mean, you guys are out for, like, world domination right now. I mean, yeah. You are with .fit and PTA Global and then PTA on the Net, correct? On the net,
2: yeah, trainer membership for uh, building their careers. Yeah. You know, so you're going to turn your passion into your profession. That's really what we like to say with that one and give them all those tools. Exactly what you're talking about. That's what trainers need. They need to be able to identify. And now, you know, the other thing is that so there's a big shift from individual one-on-one training to small group. Mm-hmm. And small group is just as important to connect. You know, I think the, the thing that we do in PTA Global is teach people. We, we, want, the tra- we want the clients. We have this, very, we, you know, we have this uh, program design questionnaire, very comprehensive. We want the client to tell us how they want to work out. You know, we, you know, the old saying a package what they need into what they want. So let mm-hmm. them tell you, you know, yeah, I like to train that. Yeah, this, 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 this. Okay, okay. And you take all your notes and you put it back. And then we goes into our little algorithm. It creates the, really, you get to pick the kind of program. This is, this one is designed to them. So that's why we call it behavior change and exercise. We use the exercise to change your behavior.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Excellent.
2: Match it to the personality of the
0: client. Yeah. And that takes, you know, that's just getting to know the client. Right. You know, it takes yep, time. Exactly. I tell them, you know, it's going to take me a little bit. I need to get familiar with you. Yes. And how you operate, how you communicate, how you interpret information, and also how you learn how to do certain exercises. Yep. Um, which, it takes time. It's building that relationship. Yep. Um, I don't know. Mike, you have anything to touch on that? Um, no. I mean, that that was
1: back in NASM days, which we discussed was having that not only the interpersonal skills of, okay, you've now learned how to train somebody, um, but everything from how do you build your business, but also as a trainer, how do you hold yourself and hold yourself accountable uh, for the information that you now have. I remember uh, probably one of the, the great seminars uh, of many that I went to is uh, three hours into the initial opening lecture with Lenny Parasino, and Lenny stopping and saying, raise your hand. How many of you right now are collecting money as a trainer? Keep your hands up. Everyone kept their hands up. How many of you th- believe your clients think you already know this stuff? Everybody's hand went down. Says, isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. And that's the, that was the reality is that uh, we didn't have, back in the day, we, didn't, we winged it. Yeah, uh, we right. didn't we didn't have a a platform yeah. um, to show us everything. And that's what you guys have absolutely developed for us. Yeah,
2: and, I, and that's the thing. I mean, to be a trainer back in my day, you just oh. had to be the biggest guy in the room. Yep, <laughs> and you and you were the most successful biggest trainer, arm or the smallest butt. That, for that a girl. was it. Yeah, that was it. And That was it back in the day. But smallest yeah. butt for yeah. a girl. Well, that was
1: his always his line. Is the back in the day the trainers the guy trainers were the woman's biggest arm and the girl had the smallest butt. Yeah. and those were the ones that had the most clients, and that was it. And there was well, that, no arguing with it back then. That's flipped for the
0: female role. Oh, yeah, it has. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boys,
2: that definitely change. I mean, yes. so much has changed, and, and all for the better. I mean, people are, you know, I, to train, to go to a gym and work out by yourself for the first time is just ridiculous, you know. I mean, that's just everyone needs a trainer in the beginning, and most gyms will give you at least one or two free three training sessions because a lot of people can't afford it. You just kind of figure out how to do it. That's what I like about small group. At least you're getting people in there. You're getting right. a movie and getting community and some social stuff. So all of our gyms now, we, 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 you have to master small group. We still do probably – there's probably no club organization out there that does more one-on-one personal training than we do mm-hmm. it's by square footage or anything in, in, in our club. We're really good at it. Uh, but when I say good at it, we're good at selling it, we're good at delivering it, and we're good at following up on it. So we do a really good job with that. But the small group has just taken over. And and for lots of good reasons. And, and it gives other people a chance to work out for less money, you know, at the same time with the with with community. Right.
1: What are some of the challenges you face today um, that you didn't see coming, maybe, that were different from back in the early 90s even? I mean, we don't even have to go back to the 70s. Yeah, but.
2: yeah I, well, what we see in business coming, you know, what really changed the world, another genius move by Mark, was the 995 – membership you know the, uh, the the low price high volume we call them low price high volume uh, okay. gyms it changed the landscape of the health club, health club business it just it wiped out so many clubs ability to serve people because they couldn't make enough money because mm-hmm. they were selling memberships for 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 dollars a month and people were going they would lose a significant number of their members to the 995 club so the low price high volume and it's not going away no, it's it's here no. to stay. Yeah. What's happened is what Mark did. The genius of, of Mark again. Of course, when he when when, when the Equity Group uh, uh, when we took over Crunch's um, training and, and all that, um, they were doing you know like you know f- average fifty thousand dollars a month in personal training. They're small clubs, twenty twenty five thousand square feet. But when we came in, after fast forward two or three years, we took it up to two hundred and fifteen thousand dollars a month on average. Some wow. of them doing three hundred thousand dollars a month just by adding our nutrition and our personal training. But it was all, its also sixty to ninety dollars a month for membership. Mm-hmm. So when all these low-price, high-volume markets, goes, I'll fix that. You know, so the reputation of Crunch is now built way up, right? It's just this high-end. It's all this great stuff. Take the brand, franchise it, and make them all the franchises. Low, low, low price high volume so they're all 995s wow. with that brand and so and then build a good personal training program inside right right so that's the brilliant and that's why crunch franchises is probably the Francis, fastest growing franchise anywhere in the world today you know of all the of the club groups and um and, and they're and they're doing the reason is because they're doing very well in the personal training side some of them don't because a lot of the owners didn't come from our world they might be an ex you know, uh, you know, they were restaurant owners or, you know, sure. barbershop owners or something. and wanted to get into a business, and they don't really know how to do personal training very well. So a lot of them don't do great at it. But to many of them that came from our world and are using what we do, because we give them the information to do it right, uh, and then they actually implement it, then they'll do really well for the low-price, high-volume. Another group, the Edge Fitness up in uh, Connecticut, mm-hmm. where I'm heading out there next week or so, they're, they've, they've mastered the low-price, high-volume. They'll actually build their gym – 995 and 1995 are the two different memberships right across the street from a 995 like Planet Fitness and take all their members because they'll build a 50,000 square foot club it has got everything in it at that. So they figured out how to compete against those. Wow. So it's, it's an amazing dynamic what's going on in the industry right now. But that's what I didn't see coming. The 995 gym, I did not see that hurting everybody so badly as it did. And they did great. Don't get right? me wrong. And Planet Fitness is going nowhere. You know, they're doing right. great. And then, you know, these, those guys are, and then, but they, they've taught us to grow up and figure out a different model, you know? So it, it's, that's what I love about competition. You know, you just learn how to evolve and you keep evolving.
1: With that in the uh, mid nineties, I know in this town, for instance, we had, uh, we had two clubs uh, we had the Westlake sport house. And yeah. we yeah. had body yeah. focus yeah. Go on, guys. and go on, go on, girls. Nolan, go out of nowhere. Uh, little boutique gyms start opening up, and little boutique gyms have opened up all over, and then all of a sudden, it it seemed as if corporate gyms, like a 24-hour, figured out, hey, we already have our members. Why aren't we offering these classes that these boutique gyms are doing? And now you have the 995 gyms. Do you guys in the industry see the, the change of these boutique gyms going away and coming back into... Big corporate
0: 50,000
2: square foot? Both. No, I don't know. I don't see them going away. Okay. Uh, I see all your big corporate gyms are now bringing them in. They're doing their version of Orange Theory. They're yes. doing their version of of uh, what's the other big one right now? Uh, you know. Soul cycle. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're doing their version of these yeah. small boutique clubs. Yeah. But you're always going to have the person that wants to go to the small boutique club because yeah. it's more personal. Yeah. They have the money and there's plenty of people that have the money to go. They don't want the crowds. Yeah. They don't want all the other things that go along with the big box. Right. So I, I think, I, I only see right now, right now the growth is in small clubs. Small, what we call the small box, which is three okay. to 5,000 square feet. That's where all the growth is. Wow. Big boxes grew less than 1% last year. Wow. wow. Yeah. And, and uh, all, the, all the growth came from the small boxes.
0: So let me ask you this, Neil, with
2: Because the... there's no overhead to start one. Right. That's another thing.
0: Right. Very little. Very little. Yeah. 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 Relative. The, the nine ninety five clubs and they still have personal training. Is there, I mean, that value is significantly less. Is there a decrease in value for the personal trainer or from the client perspective, do they see the personal trainer as having less value?
2: Well, no, they don't. if they sign up for personal training, they're assuming the trainer knows what they're doing and they don't see anything. It doesn't mean that trainer is the best trainer. Mm -hmm. They're probably not going to know that other than personality People stick with people based on more than personality. And, you know, of course they get results too, but they won't stay with you if you don't get results. But when yep. you, if you've got a great personality, you're probably going to get three or four more sessions out of someone than, than, than not. If you're, if, you, if you're just someone that just shows up and pushes pin, counts reps and, you know, goes through the process. So most people won't know if they're going to sign up for it, you don't get it nearly as many people signing up for it because they actually came in because the 995 is all they got. Yep. Yep. Okay. So you're getting a different type of person in that door. But with the name Crunch, you're not so much. You're getting a better quality 995 person through there because of the brand. Yes. You know, and again, I'm not trying to stoke our brand or anything. Right. But I'm just giving you an idea of how that kind of works overall. Um, and then, and then once you find out that the quality of personal training is good in there, then that kind of spreads the word and it kind of works. So, for generally, if if you if you're hiring decent trainers, can a trainer make a living? That's the problem. Yeah. In a nine ninety five club, right. that's where it might be different, and then they're going to leave, and then you're just transient, and you're just hiring anybody to go in there. You know, but that's just that's pretty much on the owner of just you know figuring out that model because most of these nine ninety five don't do like like Planet Fitness there's no personal training at all. Correct. They don't allow it. Correct. Yeah, and that's because that's their model. Mm-hmm. And, right. I, and I and I and I applaud them for sticking to their guns on that whole thing because they're a, 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 they've been an amazing business to watch, right, and survive. You know, they don't need dumbbells any bigger than sixty five or seventy, right? Really? Yeah. That's I, that, that yeah, that's, that's a cut off at that number yeah. and everything else that keeps guys like Cameron out. Yeah, I can't. They don't want not. him in there. That's for <laughs> sure.
1: I can't train there either. <laughs> <laughs> I can't work on bicep curls. When it's <laughs> Come on. With you traveling as much as you travel now. Are you seeing more people exercising as a, as a, as a whole?
2: It, what's hard to see, it, what's hard to tell, because I live in the world of people that exercise. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you always think it. But then when you start going out in the different parts of the world and you're driving to your venue right. and you see that everybody's overweight... Right, uh, you know, people obviously don't work out. If they do, then they're doing something really wrong. <laughs> right, <Okay. laughs> go shopping in a store in Connecticut, and you're just looking around. And you're going, you're in, you're in Missouri, and you're shopping. Oh and you're yeah, in Columbia, and you're just looking around, and and then you and then the reality hits. So the obesity number hasn't changed. Okay, so okay. It, it hasn't yep. moved. So, but there are you. You see more people starting exercise. You do see more people getting into it. Whether they're sticking or not is another thing, but people, more people are trying it than ever because they know they need to, you know, we have gotten, I think we've really gotten to that plateau where you're probably not going to see the overweight percentage go up really anymore. It's probably going to plateau here. Mm -hmm. More people are going to delve into fitness and try it. And our job is to figure out how you can get them there. That's why I always loved about the body bug and, you know. Was, you know we had do it your way, not my way. Right. Just just move more, figure it out, and just keep, watch yourself move more, and just make sure you eat less. And then and, you know, at least we can get these people that aren't exercisers like us. You know, you know I always tell people we were the ones that are screwed up. You know, because you know, <laughs> exercise isn't fun. I got news for you guys. Right. I know it is for us. And we we, we well, the first thing we do we we'll go on vacation. We look for a gym. because exactly. We're all screwed up. <laughs> Something's wrong with
1: exactly. us. Exactly.
2: That's not the way human beings were supposed to go. You're not supposed to move unless you need to. You've got to conserve energy for the next hunt, right? So that's, that's in our DNA. Not to move unless you need to. Take the path of least resistance always. It's too, pretty hard to undo that. Now start telling people to take the path of more resistance. Get up and walk. Well, I don't need to get up and walk. Yes, you do. Yeah, I don't need to get up and get that. I can just sit here and do it all from my phone. Right. No, you've got to get up and walk because you, you, you're not moving anymore. You've got, you know, our ancestors had to run after their food. Or run away from their food, you know? So you know, that, they had to save all their energy because they didn't have much food. Well, I know we're t- that's hundreds of thousands of years of evolution and we're still wired that way. So we got to fight that. And that's always, that's the part. That's why we're, it's not natural to exercise. We right. just have to find better ways to get people to get addicted to it. That's our job. Our job as fitness professionals, Cameron, as you know, is to get people addicted to fitness. And you got to find their sweet spot. It's the only way that's going to happen.
0: Yeah. and that's that connection of yeah, right. what makes them tick yeah yeah that's why there's so many boutique gyms popping up everywhere because everybody's got their own little niche yeah that's right that's right that's a very that's a good point
2: you're 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 spot on there Cameron yeah I agree
0: um Neil I mean we're sitting here at your ranch and this is such a beautiful thing what are some experiences from your past that you're grateful for that shaped you to be where you are today
2: well you know I think that, you know when I growing up like I did with you know without the parenting and, and living with the different families and so forth my way of, of seeing life was my imagination so I, I had an imagination I always wanted to i, I would I, I would lo- picture an old British castle I wanted to be lived there and have a garden outside the castle and all that so that's what kept me sane when things were bad i mean i there was times I had no food you know i'm uh, I'm, I'm scrounging around for for food and you know i would uh, always, but the way I sur- would survive would just be mentally, I had this imagination. You know, so for me, um, that always, I always, and I never thought about money. I never thought, I just knew that whatever I do, I would do it well, and the money would come. So I never, never, never crossed my mind. In fact, when we first bought this place, and you know, when you, when you look at the place, and you go like this, well, that's, most, most people say, most people, I don't think anybody's ever, not it's the most amazing place I've ever seen, or something, you know, and of course there's many more amazing places, but a lot of people haven't seen something like this. So I remember when we first bought it and Christina, we sat out here, my wife and I, we just, we just closed. It took a year to close a deal because that's, you know, buy a property like this It's a long negotiations. Yep. And so uh, she looked at me and she goes, she looked around and she goes, can you believe we live here? <laughs> and I go, oh, shit! Yeah, you're right. I never thought of that. I never, right. I never, I never had, I never pulled my head up. I never stopped to smell the roses. I never celebrated any milestone in my life. And I regret that. And I've been telling my, my people ask, what's your one single regret? And that's my, my single regret uh, is the fact that I never celebrated any milestone. At some point, you've got to sit there. And I'm not talking about celebrating like a drunk or anything. I'm talking right. about taking some time to really understand what you've accomplished and, and, and celebrate that you did something really, really big and worthwhile. And so I, 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 so I, did, I don't want my kids to go through that because they're very, very, very focused like I was. And they you know and celebrating milestones is something really important. So I try to pass that on to, to everybody. That is, that's one thing that I do regret. But that was, that was it. It was just my imagination. I, and the next thing you know, uh, I'm living that the things that were right. in my imagination when I was 10 and 11 to keep me alive. Now I live in my imagination. And I always tell people I was interviewed uh, uh, for a television show not too long ago, and I said, I go, "If you're lucky enough to buy your childhood." To buy what you wanted for your childhood, it it is an amazing feeling. So I don't take ever, Cameron. I never, ever, ever take one minute of being here for granted. Every my my wife does, and I know the kids do to a certain extent until their friends come over and they go like this, and and then the kids go, "Oh (laughs) "Oh, shit, I I forgot about that. I forgot about this place." Exactly. I never ever do. I walk out that door every day and I go like this. Wow, you know, unbelievable. Everything is so unbelievable. So appreciative, you know,
1: all of it. Um. Do you have other questions for Neil? Because I've got a.
2: a I'm going to start a, charging you here in a, a host. Not at the <laughs> Go, ahead.
1: Go ahead, Mike, take it away. So, um, today, the, these are just some fun questions uh, that kind of get us, Cameron and I, and everyone else that's going to be listening to this, to get to know you more. Uh, what are some of your hobbies?
2: Oh, horseback riding is all I do now. That's it. Yeah, that's it. You know, I mean, I, I I play golf if I could. I'm just again, I've had so many surgeries on shoulders. You know, you know, again, I, when I fall off my horse, I just had 360 stitches put on the inside of my oh. arm because I fell off and you know, I was racing. So I mean, I, I you know, I'm I, I'm not all together up here. You know, when it comes, we always, knew that. Always, live on, I always lived <laughs> on the edge. So when, I, when you, you go from motorcycles to
1: horses, you know, that's <laughs> you know, just a natural progression. When did you yeah. get into horses?
2: Um, well, you know, what's it's funny because my girlfriend before my wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was uh, a barrel racer, one of the top barrel racers mm-hmm. in the country back in the, back in the day. And uh, I was like one of the top bodybuilders in the area up in San Francisco, so we, we had met. And she goes, you ever been on a horse? Uh, you ever been on a horse before? I go, no. I think it was 32 at the time, maybe, 33, something like that. And she goes, uh, well, come out to the ranch here, and I'll put you on a horse. So I got on a horse, and the first day I fell in love with it. I was sitting on 2,000 pounds of muscle.
0: How and big was were you? Two sixty-five. Okay. But I'm just
2: saying. But just, you know, when you're when you're like me, I was a very physical guy, right? Yeah. You know, and muscle was I just muscle's just cool. Yeah. And a fricking horse has got some muscle. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I go and I get on that thing and I fell in love totally. I bought two the next day. Oh, so I but but what happened was right then Golds was moving to me to Venice, so okay. I had to move to Venice. So I I was only had a horse up there for like a year, but or maybe two. And I said. Again, what'll happen is now I had to travel all the world with gold, so I was stuck doing that. I said, I'll get once I get married and have kids and get and coach my kids through sports and all that, I'm gonna go buy a ranch and I'm gonna get horses again. And I stuck to that. Twenty-five years later, got married, had kids, right? Yep, got married and had kids and coached my kids all the way through pop warner for football and everything and, and and basketball and baseball dropped them off at high school they continue to play and still play today yep. and uh and um i bought the ranch though right when i right when they got to high school bought, well before that actually a little a couple a year before i bought this ranch got the horses so i lived up to my thing i said 25 years before that and then that, and i got the horses and i ride you know and pretty much all the time so that's really the only hot well that in gardening I do. I, I love gardening. And as you can tell here, this place is, uh, yep. you know, pretty, pretty cool to just walk around and stroll around. And then I've got a cactus garden that I take care of, uh, uh in one of the good different garden rooms over there. So that, between that and those are the two hobbies.
1: What's a perfect day for you? Well, morning, my, days okay. my, my days all start at 4 a.m. My days
2: all start at 4 and Nothing ever changes no matter what time I go to bed. You because, are a creature because, habit. Well, yeah, it is. It is <laughs> I am. Yeah. That's but the other part it. is it's what happens is, is that the, I always feel like no one else is up and I'm going to get a head start on the world. And not only that, my brain's clear. I no, no, no stresses of the day of business or anything else. I'm clear, and I go into my intellectual property work, and I do three hours of straight intellectual property work. you know which right now for me, I write some very um, you know in-depth, comprehensive treaties, if you will, on ingredients and dietary supplements and you know and, and keep building it so we build better formulas than anybody else and continue to be able to do that and support that. so I, that's pretty much what I work on most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, that's where I lock in those first, and then I go down to the gym, which I, we have a we have actually a couple gyms here, but a big one down below. Uh, and I go work out for half an hour resistance training and core work and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's it. And then I, uh, my wife and I go for a walk to the top of the mountain and come down mm-hmm. with, with the dogs. And then I go to the office here on the lake and uh, spend the rest of the day there. And then I come home and sometimes I'll ride. And that's a day. That's it day I'll ride for an hour or so something like that you know go back up the mountain with a horse and we have go over the cross we have trails all the way to the ocean from here so you can you can actually do that six hours but it's a, you can Beautiful. do it and then um, and that's it really and then after that you know I I love old movies so mm-hmm. I would like I always like to try to watch part of an old movie but I'll far asleep in 15 minutes you know so that doesn't right. take long the TV puts me to sleep but that's about it so that's really a perfect day for me I'd never leave here if I didn't have to because you know this place is that's why I bought it because so right. I feel like I could be anywhere. I could be in Europe right now. I could be in any, any part exactly. of the world, and you don't, we don't have any neighbors, and you know, you're yep. kind of open here. So that's the perfect day for me now.
1: You know? If you won the lottery, what would change?
2: Oh, well, nothing, because uh, I have more than most people would win in a lottery. I love it. So, so there's, nothing would change. Perfect. I'm already there. I got news for you guys. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> that's
1: awesome. Uh, favorite color? Green. Favorite yeah. sound? ah uh,
2: favorite sound
1: let me think here
2: ah uh, that's a good one you know what i don't i don't think that I, no one's ever asked me that question before i can't think about my favorite sound iron yeah. clinging oh you know what there you go i yo know, god cameron nailed it i love listen go down if you go down to mm-hmm. my gym i have the old weider hoffman weights <laughs> down there and when i squat yeah, I want to hear the plates yes. rattle when I come up. So I do not yep. put knockoffs. No knockoffs on the no bars. No rubbers. No. So knockers. you can just hear them clang. I love that. Yeah, he nailed it for me. Perfect. That's still my favorite sound.
1: Least favorite sound. Yeah. My least favorite sound, I guess. Uh,
2: um, well, I guess you know, sound of a car crash or something. Okay.
1: You know? Favorite food.
2: My favorite food is steak without a doubt flying but you know i will go with a leaner steak i don't like a real fatty steak okay i like lean but i love red meat i you love
1: yep. red meat least favorite food
2: um it have to be a vegetable of some type <laughs> i don't care about i do like you know as i've gotten older i do like vegetables a lot more than i did when i, I had to eat them you know throughout sure. bodybuilding because yep. you had to fill your stomach when you're dieting and you just load vegetables up I And mean, when you're dieting and you tastes good anyway but my least favorite food? Oh, you know what? Uh, avocado. Avocados. My really? Least, yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. My, and everyone loves it. My wife loves it. Yeah. But I just—she would have come out and told you that, right? If you'd asked her. Oh, right. Neil hates avocado. <laughs> I had hold the avocado. I take it off. She goes, "Don't bring it and put it on the side." And she eats it. Yeah. You know? And it's good for you. So don't get Absolutely. me wrong. You know, and yeah. I just—I just don't like it. Just not your thing. Oh, uh, and, and butter. And butter. I've never had butter. I can't. gag. Really? I gag on butter. Really? Yeah. So it's anything high-fat, I guess I, guess, yeah. I guess I that's what gags that's me. So you're not yeah. putting butter in yeah. your coffee? Oh, no, 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 <laughs> definitely not. My, my, I know my fighter son does. Um,
1: yeah. uh, favorite word?
2: <laughs> favorite word. I mean, you're getting into some tough ones there. Um, uh, I don't know. What is my favorite word? What's your favorite word? Let me ask you that. Hmm, never been flipped on me. See, I'm just curious because that's a tough one. I mean, it would be something that I can pronounce that most people can't pronounce, maybe. Okay. Something (laughs) like that.
1: (laughs) Uh, Here's one that you'll uh, appreciate Uh, favorite curse word. Oh, well,
2: I I can't say it on the air. You sure you can. Well, it's the F word for okay. sure. Are you kidding? I mean, I use that. I use that. And I have to, when, when we have guests over here, I have to clear it. I go, listen, there's an old saying, you can take the kid out of the street, but you'll never get the street out of the kid. And every other word that comes out of my, my mouth is the F word. Right. And I use it as a noun, an adjective, an adverb. It is everything. <laughs> Absolutely. It is my favorite word in the world.
1: Um, who would you like to have dinner with, dead or alive?
2: Uh, uh, Willie Mays. He's the, you know, I that was you know, easy. as you know, yeah, of course it is. And that's uh, um, Willie Mays is the, when I grew up as a kid, I would huddle on a transistor. I would borrow a friend's transistor and listen to the giant games when they moved here in 58, and Willie Mays was the most amazing uh, to this day. And it's so funny because, you know, I have a lot of good friends like Gretzky's. you know, live over here and he's, you know, Wayne and I are really close because our kids play baseball together. So we traveled around when he retired after hockey. And, you know, all the other celebrities we've worked with, you mm-hmm. know, Shaquille O'Neal and Steve Nash of the world and all the people we've worked with. And I'm never, I'm the last guy in the world who'd ever be starstruck, right? But I always told Wayne, I go, Wayne, I want to play golf with uh, Willie Mays because just someday that's my, my dream in my life. And he goes, well, I'll call him right now. 'Cause he could do that, right? Right. I go, no, no, don't 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 <laughs> no, because I don't know what I would say. So I would be so starstruck. Isn't that amazing?
1: Isn't that simple? around
2: Willie Mays. Yep. And so that's I've got to do that. It's on my bucket list. I've got to sp- have dinner with him or play golf with him or something.
1: Absolutely. Just to be
2: able to do that before I go. Before he goes, because he's older than Absolutely. I. Absolutely. Yeah. But he's still imp- I think he's doing I think he's still doing okay. So that's the well, that's the one guy. That was an easy one. Uh, thank God I had an easy one.
1: Yeah. Finally. What do you want to be known for? What's on your tombstone?
2: Well, I want to be known that I helped a lot more people than anyone. And I and I do that not just from a business standpoint, but, you know, I, he to, I told the truth. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I the truth is I know it, right? That doesn't mean it's the same story. Like I always tell people, I'm telling you the same things today that I told you five years ago. Never listen to me again because that's how fast science is evolving, especially on the nutrition side. Correct. It's changing. And if you don't keep up, if you don't evolve, you become insignificant. So that I was always... Never afraid to challenge tradition with the truth and then play it all the way out and give you all of that and, and take the hits along the way. So I do want to I want, I want be known that, that without a doubt, I told the truth in fitness to give the next generation a much better chance than I had.
0: Neil, if you were to have a conversation with your younger self, <laughs> what would you say? Let's say, what would you say to the 10-year-old Neil? 20 to 30-year-old Neil, and then, let's say, Neil in 10 years?
2: Well, the 10-year-old Neil, I mean, I was just too busy kind of getting to the next day, but I did love sports. I just, I didn't have any encouragement. By not having a, a dad around, I didn't have the same encouragement. I do, another regret is that I didn't have a father, right? Okay, it's not nearly, it's because the one I had was a very, very bad person, and the best day was the day he was gone, you know? So... You know, I, I wish I had, ha- I would say to Neil as a 10-year-old, you can do anything you want. You just need to put the pieces together. But I didn't know that then. I was just accidentally good at stuff, and but I didn't have any encouragement. So I, I was really not confident about, you know, going forward. I think I could have been a lot I could have gotten the success that I had that I have today much sooner, and could have done more if I had encouraged. But I would have been, had to encourage that ten-year-old Neil. At twenty, I would—if at twenty it would have been a little different story. I would say, "You better leave this life right now. You <laughs> can leave this life right now and get moving on the track that you're on faster." Okay, so that definitely would have been fatherly advice, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for that one there. At 30, at 35, or any of those things, um, I was forging my ways. Don't forget, I didn't start my first business till I was 40, 41. But I was building the foundation from age 23, as we talked about, so that when I did start my first business, things went like this, wow. and the next one, and the next one, the next one. So I had this incredible foundation around me now that I was building during that time. But I would say, you know, I, I, I made the decision that, uh, um, that you know, that, that I, was, I was never afraid to take the hit. In other words... I didn't care that I didn't make any money. I knew that would come eventually. I didn't care that I was waiting tables still when I was in my 30s, because Golds couldn't pay me enough mm-hmm. as I was traveling around the world doing stuff for him. I still had to make a living on top of that because I was that wasn't enough work for me. So I was still waiting tables at night in downtown LA. So no, no, nothing. I really I don't have anything other than I just I just kept my nose on. I work harder than anybody else, and that was it. I was just continued to work hard. I always tell people. People always say, what is the secret to success? It's just two pieces: passion and hard work. Nothing more than that. Mm-hmm. If you have passion for what you do, you're just going to work hard to get it done. And then you're just outwork everybody.
0: Angela it. Duckworth calls that grit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's more more yeah. grit. describing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. Well, I will tell you one thing, Cameron. Things are happening faster now than they did in the previous years. I think that's one of the great things about getting older as long as you continue to stay deep in what you're doing. And, and intellectual property, things that I work on, I, I never stop studying or reading. It's one of my four rules to business. You've got to continue to educate yourself every day of your life, and then apply it to your field. You can't educate yourself and not apply it. If you don't apply it, it goes into a black hole, and it's useless. But I will say that what's happening now is that the, the, the very few things are good about getting, about aging from a physical standpoint, right? Because eventually you know, you're, you're going to lose your joints, and you know, all these things are going to happen as you age. You just want to postpone it as long as possible. But one good thing that happens is the brain gets better and better and better as long as you're using it and feeding it properly with mm. the nutrition it needs to be able to reproduce because it can continue to go and go. I am much closer to everything now. I, 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 I see things and I feel things. Uh, things are in slow motion. The rest of the world is now in slow motion. Before it was in fast motion. I'm trying to keep up. Now I feel like I'm way ahead and I'm thinking more clearly and I can see things better. And I make better decisions so faster things are happening in business that 's the two businesses we bought for instance. I mean, we turned them around in a heartbeat and they 're just blowing up like crazy right now because i I think clearly I have more experiences that i 'm turning to it and i and I, and I can push out the things i don 't need to know and bring in the things I do need to know in a much more concise manner so that's the one great thing about aging if you're still in your field is that your brain, look at your top scientists in the world. They're in their 80s. Mm-hmm. You look at these 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 guys here because their brain never stops working on the things they're doing and they feed their brains. So again, that's, that's the one thing that does work with aging. So the 10, 10 years from now, I expect to be uh, exponentially further than we are today. Much more than the 10 years between 30 and 40.
0: Right. Right? Yeah. That's a great way yeah, to look at yeah. it. Well, wow. Absolutely. I'm absolutely looking forward to the future and what you're going to be doing for <laughs> our industry, Neil. I appreciate um, it. Thank you so much for being with us today. Any final thoughts?
2: No, I don't have any final thoughts all the way around. I just um, I think if, you know, the, the audience is, uh, you know, you've got a lot of trainers that mm-hmm. you're talking to and so forth. And, you know, the final things I always like to leave people is that, that I have five rules to, uh, five rules, uh, to long-term business success. And we've talked about all of them here today, you know, pretty much. And this isn't the five components now. This is the five <laughs> rules of long-term business success. And the first one is you have to have the right product. And all of you that are listening to this have the right product because you can't argue fitness is not the right product, mm-hmm. obviously. And the right product is defined as something almost everyone needs. And so you can obviously, like a, like a cell phone, almost everyone yep. needs one. So that's definitely a right product, right? But the problem is, it's the fitness is something everybody needs. The problem is it's commoditized. It's like you know you got. One story over here, another story over here. So, what is unique about what you do in fitness? So, Cameron, I've already heard a little about what unique. I know what Mike does is unique, and it's the connection with the consumer, and he's just done an amazing job with his with his personal business. And you're on your way now. And so, what is it that's unique about your fitness model? Right. Well, mine was always a holistic approach. I'm not going to train you if you don't do the nutrition program. So, I had this holistic, evidence-based approach to this is what you're going to do. So, first thing, you have to have the right product. And then sell what's unique about that product. Second thing you have to have then is passion. Passion for that product, right? Passion leads to hard work. Hard work is an example you set for not just the people around you, but also for your, your, uh, uh, your clients, right? You work hard, they'll work hard. And they're embarrassed if they don't. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm not talking about your clients. I'm talking about the people around you, like your workforce. You know, I just, it sets the example for everybody. And then your third thing is commit, commit to finish. What is it that you're set out to do? I set out to save the world of fitness, so my commitment's a little different. You know, I, I, you know, I it, it, fitness saved my life, so I owe the world that. Every day I'm thankful, I'm honored to serve humanity. So I'm committed to finish, and to my wife's chagrin, you know, she doesn't understand we build the biggest company in this world. We have more money than we're ever going to spend in 25 times, and you're still buying companies and building them. I, I haven't saved the world yet. When I save the world, I will either save the world or die trying, so I'll never know if I don't. So, that, so commit to finish. So whatever you started out to do, Cameron, if this is where you want to be, commit to get it done. Don't give up. Giving up's too easy. And where I come from, uh, there are fates worse than death. And one of them is a life of regret. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. So giving up is the easy, easy way to go. So stay committed. Hold yourself accountable to your vision. Keep delivering on it. And that comes to your fourth rule, and that's patience. Because it's really easy to get impatient about making money or about the things you gotta do, because life you're gonna have bad days, you're gonna have bad weeks, you might have bad years in business. But you keep have to go back to look what got you here. Look at that right product that you built and look at that passion you have for it. It's hard to find passion sometimes when you're having bad weeks. Mm-hmm. You don't even understand why you're doing this. But have patience because patience is that virtue. It's going to come. I mean, I didn't have my start my first business when I tell you, I was 41, 41, right? Yeah. Okay, I was still in trouble when I was 23. 24. My wife met me she'll say I was always in trouble.
1: But I'm just saying it's like,
2: <laughs> I'm just telling you it's like it, it, so you got to be patient. And I was patient. I kept it down I, because if you're not patient, you'll go to the dark side and you'll sell out. You'll 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 do something hokey, right? You'll 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 compromise the fifth rule. And the fifth rule is integrity. And integrity is a choice that you 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 have control of that. It's a choice you make every morning when you get up to choose the truth over popularity. So if you keep those five rules of business, there's no way you can't succeed. So I'll leave you with that.
1: It's funny. I've been listening to you for over 20 years now. And every time, um, I, I, oh, I learn something new every time. And that's the first time I've heard those five. And as you are sitting here telling Cameron and myself as a trainer of 30 years, it still hits home. Yeah. And, man, it, that just summed up. Every self-help book, every motivational book, every... It was perfect. Thank you. That's my life. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Thank you. That, was amazing. that was good. Thank you so much, good. Neil. Good to hear. Good to hear. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: That's it for this episode of the Principles of Fitness, everyone. I want to give Neil a special thanks for being with us on the show today. And a special thanks to Mike Pincus for being my co-host. If you enjoyed having Mike on the show, please leave a comment. Also, like, share this episode if you enjoyed it. And here's a sneak peek of next week's episode with NorCal Fitness Summit founder Khaled el Messery. Do you ever take a break and what do you do when you want to kind of decompress?
1: I do, man. I do. I usually will go for about three, about three months.
2: Like I usually do this like ninety day sprint, and at the end of the ninety day, I usually will take a couple days.
0: Um, where I'll, for me, I go. I fly back to San Luis Obispo. I will head down to see my folks okay. and just kind of like slow, slow <laughs> the slow life, uh, slow down a little bit. Um, San Luis has always been my kind of like place where I can go
2: decompress and relax, um, hang out by the water and just kind of re-energize.
0: Um, so I, I usually have it planned where that's kind of my reward at the end of 90 days of sprinting and working hard as I'll go for a couple days somewhere, whether it's help my, my folks or San Diego or, you know, just go somewhere and just disconnect for a couple days. To hear more from some of the best that the industry has to offer, please hit the subscribe button and stay tuned for the next episode of the principles of fitness.